and I always put it this way, your zip code's more important than your genetic code. Where you live really matters. And so if we're gonna address that in the community by creating safety nets and bringing together services that are different than you'd find in you know, Fifth Avenue in the penthouse district, that's really valuable and that's really important to that community. Well, that's some solid advice from anyone working on how to fix the healthcare system. For Mark Bertoloni, he's the former chairman and CEO of Aetna and a current member of Salesforce's Global Advisory Board. Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm your host, Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. After nearly losing his son to cancer and personally experiencing the inefficiencies of the healthcare system, Mark Bertoloni set out to change the industry for all. And today, we'll hear from him and LaShonda Anderson-Williams. She's the EVP and Chief Revenue Officer for Healthcare and Life Sciences at Salesforce. And they're going to talk about the challenges in the industry and how data-driven solutions might be the key to transforming healthcare. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. Great to be here. Thank you. And LaShonda, welcome. Welcome to myself. I am excited (laughs) to be here. As I shared earlier, this is my first Dreamforce, so I'm honored to be here, but also with our guest here. Thank you for spending time. No, the honor's all mine, LaShonda. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Okay, well, let's let's get into this a little bit. We wanted to start, Mark, with something that you've, you've, a, a word that you've used that I'm really curious about, a phrase, a radical capitalist. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is? What what does that mean? Um, doing things in a um, in, in in inside the capitalist model that are not intuitively consistent with the Keynesian economics and the view of what the capitalist model ought to be today, mm-hmm. the shareholder primacy, mm-hmm. particularly. Mm-hmm. And um, the view is, from my perspective, that organizations that are well run generate margin to continue their mission, Uh whether they're for-profit or Uh not-for-profit. And what we've done in the current shareholder primacy model is that we do everything to maximize the return to the shareholder, Uh regardless of what we do in the organization. And given that a lot of executives can throttle expenses, one of those being employees, Uh and that tends to be the way that we react to pressure from the street, Uh instead of saying employees, people are as important or more important than machines, and so while we invest in machines and we can depreciate them, uh-huh. um, we can't do that with people. Uh-huh. Training costs go into the expense right away, and we don't sync that cost with the return on the asset, which is what depreciation is. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and so if we treated people as well as we treat machines, um, we'd have a better investment in people. And so the, in- the incentives are messed up oftentimes between the, the running of the business and the investment side. No, but CEOs are screwed up. <laughs> Because CEOs lack the courage to address this in a different way. Right. CEOs get the shareholders they deserve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you run your company to maximize profit to owners by um, constantly pounding on your employees, mm-hmm. you'll get the shareholders that like that. Mm-hmm. So my first month as, as, as CEO of Aetna, I walked in to meet with our shareholders and our largest shareholder who'll go unnamed, but they are headquartered in San Francisco, um, said um, they had 9.9% of our shares, said, we need you to double the dividend or double your buyback. And Uh I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to invest in the company. I'm going to invest in our employees. Uh And she said to me, well, what if your largest shareholder insists? I said, then my largest shareholder should get the hell out of my stock. Uh And they did at Uh $39.50. They got back in at 109 to ride it to 208. (laughs) So... 
Um, you get the shareholders you deserve. You can manage them if you're courageous enough as a CEO. Yeah. So if it's not about losing your job, and it's about really creating a valuable organization, you can do it. Mm -hmm. And you know what's behind you know what you're talking about is are the people and the connections between those people. And Lashanti, you I've seen that you've written about the connectedness is the future of healthcare which is your, your expertise, and you've been working in that field for a long time, both of you. Tell me about that connectedness. What does that mean? What do you see for the future there? I mean, you mentioned um, employees and investing in employees, and I think there's a number of things happening today. And we say the great resignation. I, I'd say it's the great reset. Mm -hmm. People are realizing, employees are realizing they have choice, and employees are realizing that they should consider maybe alternative opportunities that prior to the pandemic may not have otherwise happened. So connectedness is about connecting to value mm -hmm. of an organization, connected to the culture. I'll speak personally. Mm -hmm. um, I came here, I mentioned a few months ago, yeah. and what drew me to Salesforce was I, I investigated, and let me be clear, I'm an African-American woman, mm -hmm. so I'm looking at making a huge change in my career after spending a long time with uh, two tech companies prior to, to Salesforce, mm -hmm. and I needed to understand the values, and not just what they were, but how they actually show up every single day. Mm -hmm. And nowhere would I find a tech company, um, and this is not an advertisement because I made the, the decision, <laughs> but where equality yeah. is actually a value. Mm -hmm. I get revenue, I get PE, I get all that. You know, I, I'm a shareholder, so I, I want that same thing. Yeah. But connectedness to an employee means more than just development. It means that I fit in. Mm -hmm. It means that I see a future. It means that I feel like I'm empowered and that my potential based on my employee, uh, employer, and my employee experience has upward trajectory based on what I envision for myself. Mm -hmm. And when you start thinking about employees, say this reset, I think all of us have taken a step back to reflect on what really is most important. We've lost, Mark said it today, we've lost people, we've lost things. Mm -hmm. And when you go, when we've went through what we've gone through as a, as a hum, human um, community of people, we start realizing what's more important to us. So connectedness mm -hmm. to the value proposition, to the mission statement, to the culture, and more importantly, what I personally believe that I can impact to actually make a difference based on my set of expectations as an employee. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so there's the employee circle. And then as you move out across the different stakeholders, when you think about how companies, particularly in healthcare, are connecting to that consumer experience where yeah. you want your customer to feel the same way, mm -hmm. that same level of of care and dedication and and knowing about you mm -hmm. how can we achieve that because i think we've all experienced in the you know medical world that we don't we don't always get that what's that transformation look like i think the transformation is happening right now and mark and i spent some time earlier speaking about this at the end of the day as a technology company um, and there's many of our peers we've got the technology for our customers to leverage but it really comes down to these organizations prioritizing employee experience, patient personalization. Mm -hmm. So every one of us now has a choice on how we want to receive care. I receive care differently. My parents receive care. They, they actually want to go into an office. They want to see the doctor. They have a relationship, and they've had a longstanding relationship. I'm absolutely comfortable doing something over Zoom or Gchat. Mm -hmm. My children have a different expectation. They're going to self-diagnose in some cases mm -hmm. uh, on WebMD or TikTok <laughs> or some other platform. So I think our healthcare organizations have to really balance what, what I would call, this happened years ago when it was a buzzword, but consumerization of healthcare yeah. is real. Right. We self-diagnose, 
we look at technology as a way to receive care in a yeah. different way. So I think the healthcare system is in a great place for those who are willing to innovate and adjust. And what Mark and I talked about, really thinking about what's around the corner. Mm-hmm. And, and we're moving so fast. And there's so much data that our healthcare systems have to actually provide better care than any of us are receiving today. Mm-hmm. If they want to create the systems and the tools and the environment to do so, it's hard. It's yeah. expensive, it's challenging, and it breaks a couple of rules that most, quite frankly, I don't believe want to just yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, Mark, talk about this in the context of Aetna and CVS and what you guys were trying to achieve there in bringing that care closer. I'm curious with COVID and the changes we've seen with digital transformation, how has that changed? Has that strategy changed? What, what does that look like? Well, I think you have to start with the simple notion that the opposite of health is poverty. Mm -hmm. The two are inextricably linked. And so communities that are impoverished generally have very much, very low health standards Mm -hmm. um, and results. And and so if you take that as um, a cause effect, then what we need to do is we need to invest in the health of those populations. And the only way to do it is to be there. Right. You can't work in Harlem from Hartford. It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so as we looked at how do we get closer to the customer mm-hmm. and how do we make place, you know, the concept of placemaking, mm-hmm. um, how do we create a place where people can come and get the services necessary for the community within which they live? Mm-hmm. When you start thinking about that, you say, well, we've got to get into a retail setting of some sort. So we thought about doing Aetna stores, and that's the last place I would even want to go is to an Aetna store. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't find anything appealing about that. It's not like a uh, Tesla and, store? No. And so, um, <laughs> but there are stores, um, the retail pharmacy chains, and we sat down and talked with all we, Walmart, Walgreens, Rite Aid, and Walmart. Yeah. Um, uh, and, um, and, and when we talked to them, we said, imagine a place, so an inner city CVS store. Mm-hmm. Um, that instead of being a purveyor of very expensive aluminum foil and toilet paper, mm-hmm. um, that you actually refashioned your footprint in a way that you help people in that community avoid poverty. Mm-hmm. So what if we said, come on in, we're going to work with you. Mm-hmm. We're going to find you insurance. We're going to find you transportation. We're going to find you child care. You become relevant to that community. Mm-hmm. Those social determinants in and of themselves do more to drive people's health status and I always put it this way, your zip code's more important than your genetic code. Yeah. Um, where you live really matters. And so if we can address that in the community by creating safety nets and bringing together services that are different than you'd find in you know, Fifth Avenue mm-hmm. um, in the penthouse district, that's really valuable and mm-hmm. that's really important to that community. Um, you know, the bodega up on um, 127th where I get my coffee sometime in the morning is very different than the Whole Foods sitting at 107 mm-hmm. in Columbus. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. They're meeting the needs of their community. Mm-hmm. So instead of having a footprint, you know, a, a cookie cutter footprint of stores all over the country, let's build it out to be a place. Mm-hmm. Let's make it valuable to that community, all in the end of making a more vibrant, economically viable community. Mm-hmm. Now, is that an easy sell inside the organization to try to develop a program where you're saying, as a company, you're going to send people physically into all these homes? I can see that being daunting for an organization. 
How did that go over? It's it's not daunting once they see that it works. And the great thing about being CEO is you can say, imagine I'm the CEO of a Fortune 50 <laughs> company and I want to do that. Yeah. Let's try it. <laughs> right. That's what I do with yoga and mindfulness too. Let's all do yoga and mindfulness because I want to. Right. And so that matters. And when people try it, I mean, it's, it's, it's the old Machiavellian talk about there's nothing more dangerous um, and more subject to turmoil than to change the current order of things. Mm-hmm. Because those that are advantaged by the current order mm-hmm. will fight with strong resistance, and those that are advantaged by the new order won't accept it until, it's, until they experience it. Mm-hmm. And, and that is the role of a change agent. And that quote from the prince sat under my desk blotter every day of my career. I looked at it when I walked into the office and said, this is what I need to do. This yeah. is what I need to be challenged about. Shake things up. I, I, I would say I do think there is a desire for change and disruption. Yeah. And so I, I think there's a, a number of healthcare organizations, whether it's a health plan or even a, um, a pharmaceutical company who is now in the middle of you know delivering vaccines and now boosters and what does the future look like? There is a desire for disruption the challenges, historical, traditional, you know, culture, back to connectedness, Mm -hmm. um, are we really ready to change? Because it's not about the tech. We're at a tech company, but it really is not about the technology. Right. It's about people. And I think health organizations are realizing, even this, you know, in this moment, that personalization Mm -hmm. of health experiences matter. Mm -hmm. And the more you can personalize my experience, the more I'm going to be loyal to this member as a member. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna and I'm not gonna just enroll myself. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna enroll my parents. I'm gonna enroll my kids. I'm gonna enroll my I'm gonna tell my friends. And if you can create an experience that's personalized for me along my health journey mm-hmm. from start to finish, that is differentiation and disruption to the current model. Mm-hmm. Because the the process today is disrupted because of data being fragmented across so many different systems and tools and parts of this ecosystem. Right. And so that it's not about tech, it's culture. And I'll go back to what you didn't say, it's about leadership. It's about leaders really taking the step to say, we're going to do things differently, we're gonna disrupt, and here's what that looks like, and it's going to be painful. Mm-hmm. But in the end, if you truly put the patient at the center of their entire healthy journey and experience, mm-hmm we will see healthcare not only reimagined, but transformed and improved drastically. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what other industry does Salesforce work, for, work with? What other industry do we work with where the, rev, where the um, economic models of all the actors are so completely different? Right. Physicians work on a cash basis. As long as there's money in the bank, everything's fine. Yeah. Hospitals work on a revenue basis. As long as I can keep increasing my revenue, I'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna focus on driving more services. And then pharma, device, insurance plans all work on a margin model. Yeah. And so when you crash all these together inside the system, the economic incentives are so screwed up mm-hmm. that there's no possible way to rationalize it. Mm-hmm. So you have to start from a different point of view. You have to start from actually the patient, the end user, right? and work your way back into it and say, what do they want? I mean, from being in so in the center of that because when i as an outsider when i look at that situation i just say this, is, this feels intractable mm-hmm. of you know how we can get these these parties to work together i mean where where have you seen that work where are there sort of a path where this is going to get better well there are models out there that are emerging called patient centered medical homes that focus on more in the community and more in the home mm-hmm. and using the doctor at their highest level of licensure to do you know 
laying on of hands and real work um, instead of doing dipstick urines in the bathroom uh-huh. um, for revenue. And, and so that model, if you deploy it, mm-hmm. is very powerful. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that having every physician group in the country deploy that model is, first of all, there aren't enough people. Yeah. Uh, unless we all want to work for the healthcare system. Um, and, and it's incredibly expensive. Yeah. And yeah. so the, 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 you know, the question is, is how do you help do that? And that's where Salesforce could be incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Create that cloud technology platform to support the patient-centered medical home. Mm-hmm. You could offer it for free mm-hmm. just to get on the other side in the community, the price arbitrage mm-hmm. of what it costs. I, I needed a shower chair a year ago, two years ago for a, um, a surgery I had for mm-hmm. a few days. Yeah. It was $258 at the local DME. Mm-hmm. It was 35 delivered, same chair, $35 delivered to my door by Amazon. Mm-hmm. Which one did you get? I got the $35 because <laughs> I didn't have to go pick it up. I couldn't pick it up anyway. Right. So, <laughs> but but think, think, think about that. Now you're, you're entering in a conversation with another technology company that's on the fringes of things around health, Amazon. Yeah. And so I, I'm talking to a number of our healthcare organizations saying, what do you think about that? What do you think about meds being delivered via drone? Are you concerned? Because right. we're not talking about something futuristic. It's happening today. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I think the opportunity is there. And I think, by and large, healthcare organizations want to find a way to aggregate, integrate, but it's expensive, it's difficult, and you also have to get stitch, essentially, these different revenue models together and that's where things kind of break down right well you got to give up some of yours so i can get some more yeah yeah, and it's just an internecine warfare that's just impossible yeah Yeah. because that's the question in my mind where what is the big disruption how you know something like this where you say it's an intractable situation nobody's going to give up inevitably something breaks it i'm just curious where you think that disruption may be i don't think you can break it without reinventing it and so what you have to do is what Amazon's done to a number of industries, create a, a customer experience that is so powerful yeah. mm-hmm. that, and, and affordable that I won't give it up. And as Jeff Bezos told me more than once, my customers disrupted those industries, not me. Right. They came to me and stopped going to them. And, and mm-hmm. that's what we need to do is create a new model. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you build it right, the people will come because they'll want, they'll want that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And are you seeing that in the marketplace right now? It's happening in pieces, and I don't know if that'll yeah. matter. It yeah. needs to be a systemic. Yeah. We need a systemic model. I mean, just think, and I've, I've used the healthcare system a lot with my spinal cord injury. Mm-hmm. You know, going into the healthcare system is a nightmare. Yeah. You know, and thank God I was an insurance company because when I couldn't figure out my bill, I just sent it downstairs and they <laughs> told me what I needed to pay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. I mean, was that your first notion that it was crazy when you had to actually interact with the system? Well, no, it was when I was sitting in my son's hospital room and he was dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that there was not a systemic approach to his care. Mm-hmm. I knew something was badly broken. Mm-hmm. When his you know, um, nutrition, which he had all these allergies, which he kept having reactions to, when his psychological care weren't all coordinated mm-hmm. and he was just a sick kid in room four of the bone marrow transplant ward mm-hmm. um, and he was going to die anyway because he had the worst case on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, time, what, what amount of time are we going to spend with him? So I moved into his room with him and slept with him every night and took care of him and managed his care. I met with a medical team every morning with a, lab, a laptop with PubMed and a Harrison's internal medicine text. Mm-hmm. 
And today he's 36 years old and he has two children. He's teaching math in a high school in Dover, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's the only one to ever survive his cancer. And he's the only one that was on that floor when he was treated that is still alive today. Everybody else died. Wow. And when I saw that and I had to manage it and coordinate it and run the play every day. Yeah. And had whiteboards in the in his, in his room, mm-hmm. you know, tracking his care, um, making sure that the nurses put the right syringes in the right IV machine because he had three hooked up to him. Mm-hmm. It was. It, I realized the system is so badly broken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was at that moment in 2003 when he went home that I realized that you know th- this is a major problem, mm-hmm. and he's only alive because I was there. Right. They would have just as soon he had died. He was in the hospital a year and a half. I, they would have just as soon he got, because he was very expensive to care for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I gave him my left kidney, because his kidneys were destroyed by the cure, you know, it was a whole other adventure, mm-hmm. which he, I told him he needs to take care of with Budweiser beer, because that's what it was raised on. Um, <laughs> it needs to True stay story. in its natural <laughs> environment. <laughs> but that's when I realized the system was badly broken. I always thought, ah, oh, you know, what are people griping about? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, and it, you know, it's not going to be possible, it would seem, to deliver that maybe at scale with the same way that a father in the room with the kid is going to. I wonder, you know, it makes me think a little bit about AI or some other tools or systems mm-hmm. that can be brought in because they're, you know, it sounds like a lot of human breakdown there between yep. the doctors and the nurses and the, you know, exhausted it's nurses. not connected. Exactly. It's not doctors. connected. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Burnout was real before we got to COVID. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that, that was a real problem. But I want to I want to step just back slightly because what you described, Mark, was as a father, as a parent, deeply familiar in some aspect of the system. Mm-hmm. So when we think about social determinants, health, you're in the system, so you get it. Even though the bill thing you have to get a little help with, I'll give you that. <laughs> but the parent in certain zip codes who don't have the access, the information, the know-how. Or right. can't take the time because they're working. And because well, right. they, they are working. So so I worry, you know, as I think about, you know, what I'm passionate about, it is about helping let our technology play a role to enable this connected ecosystem. But mm-hmm. ultimately it comes down to all of us people. Mm-hmm. Because there's some kid sitting in a room whose father who can't be there, or whose mm-hmm. mother or, you know, um, um, caregiver is not available or not informed. Right. And how might the healthcare system, to your question, use artificial intelligence, more predictable information, mm-hmm. access to these individuals who, if they just knew that I could take a, an extra step by doing X to help my mm-hmm. my, uh, my child. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's two ends of this conversation, which is, yes, it's broken, and yes, there's a lot. And thankfully, Mark, you had an opportunity to deeply engage and participate there's so many more that don't, but that's where I worry is the healthcare system, forget the tech, it's just struggling to protect and to truly care for those who are deeply in need. Yeah, yeah. And I think we've seen that in, in COVID for sure with, mm-hmm. with how that's played totally. out. But it's interesting as, as we talk about this, it seems like there's lots of opportunity to, to get better, uh, at least some low-hanging fruit there. And is that within the Salesforce tools and what we're mm-hmm. working on, are there some examples of work that's happening in that space? Yeah, I mean, what we're doing and working on is essentially what I would coin creating or enabling a connected care team yeah. through the journey of, of a patient. Mm-hmm. Um, from the first time you decide you need to actually 
contact a doctor, whether that's going into an actual facility like my parents who want to see their doctor, or I want to create a virtual health environment where I want to talk to my care um, provider Mm -hmm. virtually and choosing how I opt in. So we've got a number of customers who are trying to figure out their right journey because it's not one size or, you know, fits all. Right. So when we think about telehealth, um, that's a great, you know, buzzword in some aspect. It doesn't apply to all. Right. But the care team, connected care team um, experience is about enabling true connection between the entire experience of the patient and and their care team, whether you're physically in a hospital or a care organization, or as you described, home health. Mm-hmm. And you've got now um, med device companies who have realized they've got this rich set of data that they're measuring and monitoring remotely. How might you be more predictable in the care you know, plan? Mm-hmm. Um, and how might you share that? You know, I'll speak personally. As um, having aging parents, um, I would ask my dad, well, how was your visit? And he would say it was wonderful. And my mother would tell me otherwise. Right. And so um, <laughs> I was known as the enforcer. And so what I, what I started having to do was say, on your next doctor's visit, I'm going to ask you to dial into this link so I could listen in. Mm-hmm. And the first time I did that, he said he was fine with it. Right. You just wanted to be there to hear the conversation. To, I wanted to help. And right. so as Salesforce, we are trying to enable those different moments to leverage tech for good mm-hmm. using things that we have today that are very simple, but also putting more intelligence in the hands of providers whether it's a actual provider or a pharmaceutical company who is working on R&D or trying to accelerate development of a drug for a rare disease. Mm-hmm. And, but at the end of the day, it's tech and it's information. We're trying to get into the right hands of the right person to care for the right patient at the right time mm-hmm. to save another life. Mm-hmm. That's, it, that's ideal. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen that way all the time. But we've seen that. And I think your question, Mike, of can we do this? I, I think it has to be a complete reset if we're going to actually do it. I think we will continue to see people, um, organizations and systems try to merge and try to force a way of, and maybe it's a pharma company, uh-huh. um, you know, working with a provider or a payer health plan, trying to create more connectedness in their, you know, medicine in getting into the hands of a patient. Uh-huh. But a wholesale change, I think, is a huge effort. But then we look at Canada and say, well, how are they doing it? We look across the world. This is America that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole nother ecosystem outside of the United States mm-hmm. that has found a way to do it as one ecosystem. Right. There's other, you know, you know, considerations, but it's not impossible, but it will require, I think, a huge reset that as a country here in America, we have to think about what would it take and how fast would we get there and who's going to pay for it. And that's, again, we get back to the, no one wants to step up for that. But I think Mark's <laughs> offering... Right, Mark, to help us figure this out? Oh, sure. Awesome. That's why I'm here. So, you know, it's we, we don't tell true stories. And so yeah. the doctors have no clue. They're seeing mm. us for 20 minutes right. at a time. And so it's unfair to put the system on them to figure out what to do next. What we need is a capability that LaShonda has been defining that really focuses on how do we make that information available. Mm-hmm in a way that supports the care of the individual, mm-hmm. including what's going on in their zip code. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. do you live? Yeah. yeah, You know, do you have care? Mm-hmm. Are you eating right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the one thing everyone does have is a cell phone, for the That's most right. part. That's so right. imagine being able to send automated messages, yeah. knowing what's happening by zip code to your patients, to check in, right. to give some best practices, some tips on eating, nutrition, even if they're not getting it all in, but if they can just take a step, give them one thing that they might be able to do. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't think we've seen nearly the type of mobile transformation that we have in right. so many other areas. You know, I mean, it's changed our lives so yeah. much. It hasn't changed our no. relationship with the healthcare system. Wonderful. Well, we touched on so many issues today, and uh, it's a it's a big challenge, but exciting. And I Absolutely. think there's so much opportunity here. So, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. LaShonda, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, thank you. Whoever solves this creates the first trillion dollar healthcare company. Mark my words. Let's get let's so get started. About, <laughs> we, talking about we got the team right here. Let's do it. <laughs> that was Mark Bertoloni, the former chairman and CEO of Aetna, speaking with LaShonda Anderson Williams, EVP and Chief Revenue Officer for Healthcare and Life Sciences here at Salesforce. Thanks for listening today. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios.